filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster Jason, this weekend you you mad maxed your way down I ninety five, well down I two seventy and the Beltway and ninety five from Boyd's Maryland to to Richmond with our with our good friend Kevin McCauley. I can only assume he was on the roof of the car playing uh, guitar while flames shot out all around him as you barreled down the interstate. Uh, I wish it were that interesting. Um, <laughs> no, I. I I picked Kevin up. Uh, we went out to the soccerplex. We were there for the game. We stood in the sudden snowstorm that kind of became sleet and then finally stopped at the end and then immediately tried to get out, but we couldn't get out of the parking lot fast enough and had to wait for half an hour because the the soccerplex is not designed for that many people to leave at once without a major uh, traffic jam. And actually, this might have been the best long distance drive into Virginia that I've ever had um, in that there were no major traffic jams uh, on the way in. Um, so that we, we would have gotten to the spirits preseason game against North Carolina at city stadium. We would have gotten into the press box for kickoff, except the, I don't know who is running parking for this game uh, at city stadium, but the only things that were arms, arms, events. Well, I think it was Ben Bromley ben, events. I feel like Ben alone would have done a better job covering all of the lots <laughs> than what would, because what actually happened was they had a sign up for VIP parking, which is just an empty lot that was no one was being allowed to use. Um, there was a there were no VIPs. Right, there was a, a parking. Uh, there was like disabled parking, which at least was being used by folks that needed it. Um, that had a sign, and then everything else was just like. You can't, there were like cones blocking you, like, well, you can't park here. And like, well, how do I get into the parking lot? What, what lots of these are usable? Uh, no one was in charge of anything. Um, and so we, I think to, to bring the Mad Max analogy forward, I think it was really just a free for all. Whoever wanted to park there the most got to park I guess there. so. Um, in this case, it was just people who were already there. Um, but yeah, uh, they wanted it, it was, uh, it was a long, long day. Um, a little, um, a little mentally trying. I'm still kind of wiped out because when you spend your whole, you know, I, it was a literally a 16 hour day. So you lose all of Saturday, which means all of your weekend has to be jammed into one day. And then today was rough. So now I'm basically a husk of a man, uh, talking at a microphone. So you celebrated St. Patrick's day in the, the traditional way, just do something silly and as hard on your body as possible. Yeah, pretty much. Um, you you know, just uh, driving along and uh, watching soccer games and repeating until uh, I found myself at home. <laughs> Was there at least a sing along in the car with Kevin? Uh, I don't think so. We did talk about um, uh, how how uh, we purchased the album Stankonia. Uh, Kevin's story is better than mine. He apparently had to sneak out of school. Um, 
Whereas uh, I think I just went to a Best Buy after school and bought it, which was a. I talked. Yeah, I talked my little brother into using his allowance to nice. buy it, so that we both have it. <laughs> <laughs> I was pretty proud of that. Um, Kevin's a good road trip partner. I went to the MLS draft with him as my passenger uh, a few years back. It was a shorter drive, just one trip up to Baltimore and back, but it was a good time. Kevin's a good dude. Yeah, I mean. Hey, hey, welcome yeah, in. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> nah, uh, it happens. I mean, I do recommend, like, if the schedule lines up and allows you to, to see both teams play in one day, um, this was a little bit of a, an extreme version of that. Uh, but, um, you know, if, if you enjoy the local soccer, uh, trying to do both in one day, uh, maybe not by yourself. You might, you might start to go a little crazy doing it all on your own. But uh, if you've got someone to get along with to go with and uh it's it's really not the worst scenario at all hey hey welcome in pause this is filibuster the black and red united podcast i'm adam taylor joined by ben bromley and cannonball runs own jason anderson we're all from black and red united.com where we write about soccer tonight we're talking all dc united we're talking about their 2-2 draw with the houston dynamo up at the Maryland Soccerplex on Saturday. And we're talking about next Saturday's trip to Columbus and MLS's first soccer-specific stadium, which now goes by the name Mafre Stadium. There's a P in that word somewhere. Good luck finding it. Uh, before we talk about anything, though, Ben, what are you drinking? So I found the beer of summer, at least here in Richmond, Virginia. And you I'm know there's a snowstorm yeah. coming. Adam, I found the beer of summer. Are you like Olaf? You're just like wishing for summer to happen? Nah, I'm not a uh, Frozen fan. We are are a Moana household. I think you can be both. We are both. (laughs) We're not. Tell us about the beer of the summer. Continue, Ben. (laughs) At least the Richmond, Virginia beer of the summer. It is Hardywood's Richmond Lager. It is a craft beer in Richmond, Virginia that you can find for under $8 which is, for a six-pack, which is in of itself a, a miracle. And it's just a crisp, clean lager. It's what like Budweiser in its wildest dream dreams wants to be. And it's 5%. It's just going to be the beer of the summer. It's great. It's crisp. It's drinkable. It's in a cool squat bottle like uh, they had back in the 30s. It's nice. Excellent. I'm glad you're you're enjoying it. Uh, I am bracing myself for Tuesday's weather. Um, no. I I am. I, I I'm drinking a shrub. It is a pineapple allspice shrub with whiskey, um, or whiskey shrub with pineapple allspice. But however you want to characterize it, it is a good winter time, uh, cold time kind of drink. Shrub pineapple. Allspice with whiskey. Yes, those are the. You can put those words in whatever order you want, and I think it's still accurate. Um, but those are the important operative words. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I was running late, so I have uh, a coffee mug with uh, Evan Williams seventeen thirty four because my uh, rocks glasses are dirty. So it's in a purple coffee mug, and uh, it was the bourbon that was the closest to my hand when I reached for liquor. That was what was there. It's not a, a UMBC 
uh, anti-UVA mug. I thought I, I had a hunch you might somehow procure one of those. No, I, I never had any time. I think I've talked about my weekend already. Um, it's true. There was never a stop by UMBC to get a mug specifically commemorating one thing. Uh, that I don't know that a mug, such a mug, even exists yet. Um, though they should get if on it, that if it doesn't. Yeah, if it doesn't, I, I, I'm pretty disappointed. Um, not as disappointed as the University of Virginia basketball program, but disappointed nonetheless. Let's talk about soccer and specifically the Maryland soccer plex, which is where weird ass soccer games happen just as a rule. Um, there's a whole history of it, um, which our regular listeners would, would know about. Uh, and, and this weekend DC United added to that history uh, by, by giving away two goals in the worst, weirdest fashion, just gave them away early on. Then it started snowing randomly and uh then DC United managed to their probably their best fight back in a couple of years to end up with a two to two draw with the Houston Dynamo, and uh, maybe even a deserved two to two draw. Jason, what is it about the soccerplex? Uh, I don't know. There's something in the air. Um, it, it's it's weird to think about how uh, this game was kind of like the opposite of the Orlando game in that the bad news came first instead mm-hmm. of the good news. Um, and then the, uh, we, you know, we got the good news extremely late. Uh, just like in Orlando, we got the bad news extremely late. Um, yeah, I don't know exactly what it is, uh, out there, but things always tend to get wild when DC United visits the Plex and things just get strange. Um, the goals that they gave up were strange errors. Um, the, you know, the goal that they, the, the equalizer ends up with, uh, you know, if, if Chris Seitz had taken a little more off of that shot, the player that was going to be following up the rebound was going to be David Osted. He was the closest player to tapping that in. If, if the ball wasn't going to bounce in on its own. Um, now I wish that it happened. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I was staying with Kevin and when, when, cause I was, we were kind of at that at the other end of the stadium. So we were closer to Osted. And as soon as the the foul was called, I glanced because Osted started waving his arm and he was waving to the bench to make sure he was getting the go ahead. But he was already running forward um, and waving his <laughs> arm and they were like, yeah, go. And, and he was already on his way. Um, and uh, when for some reason, he bamboozled the Houston defense already by uh, making them cover him and not cover yeah. Lucho Acosta in yeah, any way whatsoever. Great, um, from the broadcast, there was a great shot after the goal. Um, it's just an, an ISO of uh, Acosta, and no one is ever in frame with him from Houston. Um, but he recycles yeah, the run, like, even like he no made the initial from Houston run and then got ever the enters the shot. It's just Lucho by himself. So it's like he's playing the game all alone. It's just him waiting for the ball to come in, and a goalkeeper is out of frame. Like you know, it's like a finishing drill at the end of training. Um, so yeah, that, uh, that, that was a, I mean, a suitably bizarre ending. Like I, I told Kevin, I was like straight up the, the, the way this weird game has to end is a David Osted goal, um, on a, you know, deep into stoppage. I mean, almost. it almost worked. Um, yeah, it, it was, a an extremely unusual game, uh, in a ton of different ways. And, you know, fortunately United did enough to come back and get something out of it. Uh, but at the same time we were talking about this as a must win. So um, it's, it's hard to figure out exactly how to feel because it's like, there's a lot of extremes, uh, to feel after this one. 
Yeah, and let's let's start at the the better end of that. We can we we'll, we'll get into the despair of the first half, and I think despair is probably the right word. But but let's talk about the That's what I the more uh, competent and even jubilant at moments second half. Um, the the first goal was was really good work from uh, Joseph Mora, Yamil Assad, and, and Darren Maddox, combining down the left side and then. Maddox getting into the box and and looking like a really good striker for a moment, uh, which was great to see. He's already got two goals on the year. Um, Ryan Kiefer from the site pointed out right before we started recording that he actually leads MLS and expected goals right now does Darren Maddox. So uh, he's having a good, good start to the year, I guess. Um, but that first goal was really well worked combination between Mora and Assad, and then eventually ending up with, I think Assad putting um, Maddox in behind. He he jukes a defender and then finishes very calmly past the keeper. Uh, ben, what else stood out to you as as good in that second half? I mean, there are a number of things. There was that connection between Maddox and Assad. They did that same play at least twice uh, in the second half where uh, Assad from the top of the 18 played in uh, Maddox on the end line and one time the ball went in the other time uh, it didn't quite but they had a good connection going uh, I want to heap a lot of praise both in the first half and the second half and throughout this entire game on uh, Joseph Mora absolutely he was even though he has not practiced with the team basically at all he was buying away the best fullback on the team that we've seen this year, probably last year, and definitely in con- he's probably just the best defender on the team right now. I think uh, we we can will eventually get to the first half in which uh, Briant had just an awful, awful pass uh, that led directly to a goal. Uh, Birnbaum has been solid, but not excellent, but he, he's been mostly solid. Uh, same with Nick DeLeon, but Mora had a number of just key excellent tackles. I think uh, that um, the Dynamo were targeting his side, both because uh, Albert Elise was on that side. So, of course, you're going to target the side that Albert Elise is on. But they also, all the intel so far this year is that uh, DC United's left backside is the the weaker side. So they were going to try that too, and especially against a fullback that has had no time so far with his teammates. Um so yeah, uh, I, I we'll get into more. We'll get into like the performance of Chris Durkin uh, in a little bit. I don't want to just go on for ten minutes about all the things that I liked, uh, but I wanted to initially single out Joseph Mora as one of the things that made both halves really great. But he was key to the goals in the second half, uh, particularly as well, and preventing Houston from racking up three or four before. United could come back with their second. I, uh, I, I, I want to agree on the praise for for more. If you hadn't brought him up, I was going to. Uh, I, I do want to say it wasn't a perfect debut from him. There was one counter in the second half, in particular, where he 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 picked the wrong guy to cover and left Albert Elise uh, completely wide open on the backside. Maybe it wasn't the wrong man to cover though, because Elise completely skied the shot thankfully uh albert elise not as good of a finisher as darren maddox at least in in this game from many chances he still got his goal early on but um yeah let's talk about the subs ben olsen made uh he he go ahead 
Can I can I also talk about more? We can all talk about more. Go ahead. Um, I'm I would say uh, I'm going to tamp down the level of praise the show is giving. Uh, Mora, I'm not going to be fully on board. He's the best fullback in MLS history. I I thought I I liked what I saw. I I liked um, that he thinks the game quickly. Um, He he didn't seem out of his depth at all, despite being up against Houston's best player, despite making his debut after being here for like 10 days, uh, maybe, maybe not even a full two weeks. Um, So I I thought for a debut, it was very impressive. Um, There are some things he needs to work on, um, on the, the Briant pass, um, which I guess I'm now going to get into prematurely. Um, you, yeah, I was going to save that one, but Mora had a role in that one too. Yeah, if you if you pause the moment that Briant starts to make the pass, Mora has already started to take off upfield, but not just take off upfield. He's basically running himself towards Elise, where he's not going to be able to do anything anyway, um, and he's doing it blind. So that's not the best off the ball move. I I don't. I mean, it's still he's far less responsible for that than Briant, who uh, not only opted for a pass to a player who wasn't ready for it. But if you pause the moment he strikes that ball and look further forward, there's like a 50 yard gap that he played Yamil Assad to feet uh, and broken Houston's midfield. Um, and Briant has been brought in in part because he's better at passing the ball than some of our other uh, center backs in the past. He needs to be able to spot that pass. Um, that's an easy pass to pick out. And he just, he never even looked in that direction. He just, he only had eyes for it. And, you know, even if you, and even if he's looking at Mora, he comically yeah, under uh, yeah, No, he, I mean, he definitely made a technical mistake on top of a mistake in judgment. Um, but Mora wasn't helping the situation because Mora was running upfield without necessarily knowing why he was doing it. Um, maybe he was anticipating the pass to Assad. Sure. Um, but that seems like a stretch to me. I think he was just like, well, we're in possession, so we need to move our lines up. And there wasn't really a thought process, which to be fair to him, you know, you've only had a few training sessions. It's understandable to not be 100% in, in, uh, in line with whatever, what's going on around you. Um, yeah, my guess while watching it was that he, he also was trying to get wide during that. He wasn't just running straight up the field. My guess is he was trying to force Elise to stay wide so that there would be a pass to the, the midfield, uh, that would be available to Briant. He just broke, at exactly the wrong moment because he was there when Briant started the pass and turned before the pass was actually hit. So it was, it was a, a lack of understanding. I think I, which is, you know, we kind of knew this was the downside. Um, we talked about this before, like in, there's going to be an issue of understanding. And this was the downside of it is that, um, you know, a couple times in the game, people were trying to play on memory and this is still, too new of a group to, I mean, we're seeing some of it develop the, the goal, uh, the Maddox goal happened in part because Assad and Maddox are starting to develop an understanding. Um, but you know, we're still looking at a group where it's almost all new players. You know, the whole lineup, I think, uh, Acosta, Stieber and Burnbaum and DeLeon were the only guys that were here last year, um, that started this game. So, Mm-hmm. Um, they're trying to play on memory, but they're not there yet. And so we're going to see the occasional mistake, hopefully not as big as the, um, the mistakes on these goals because they were, you know, colossal, uh, gigantic errors. Um, but, you know, since we're trying to talk about the, the good side of things with, with Mora, um, you know, 
I thought given the amount of pressure he was put under, the number of tackles he won, um, the it just seemed for this. Um, he didn't seem at all like, whoa, what am I getting into? Which we're kind of seeing with Junior Moreno and Ulysses Segura. There's that occasional like, there's that occasional like, oh, what have I? You know, this is all happening very quickly. I'm not sure I'm up to speed with this. Mora didn't look like that was an issue with him. And if this is the baseline for him on his, you know, almost his first day, then, you know, we can expect that it's going to improve from there. And, and I was a little skeptical of this uh, when it was made, but if this, if this is what he can do with almost no prep, then, you know, this is probably going to be his position for a long time to come because I assume that there's a high ceiling there. If this is the floor, the, um, so that's that's a really good sign um, that he could jump in this quickly against Elise and Houston and come through with this level of play. I, I don't know if it was quite as good as you guys are saying, but it was definitely very good and above what I thought I was going to see. Right. I think a lot of our, at least my praise is based on the the circumstances that he came into and, and the expectation that he would be more of a question mark than he turned out to be in this game. And also by comparison to some of his teammates in that first half, he came off looking pretty good. Um, let's talk about the second half subs though, since we are technically talking about the good part of the game. Uh, Paul Ariola came in, made an impact. Uh, Patrick Mullins came in and showed well, Chris Durkin came in and may have made the number six spot. His junior Moreno potential hamstring injury, helps his case, I think, but, but Durkin did a lot of work to help his case as well. Ben, it, it was nice to see some, some impact subs and, and see Ben Olsen make some changes um, on the bench that, that paid off on the field. Yeah, it was definitely nice to see that. It was definitely nice to see subs before the uh, 65th minute. Um, and I think Durkin did a really Good job. Uh, I noticed that, especially in the uh, first part of the second half, but also in the first half, DC United's uh, center backs were bypassing the midfield. They weren't really trying to start play from the back with uh, Junior Moreno and Ulysses Segura. They would try to get it forward, and then if it got to the central midfielders, it would be because it got bounced back by Assad or uh, Stieber. Uh, to them. And if you're bypassing the midfield and also your midfielders aren't providing a lot of defensive capability, that's a double whammy of badness. So I think it's continuing in the sense that they're, there's something that doesn't necessarily fit yet with those two players and this system. And I would really like to actually see Segura with Durkin, because I think Segura as an eight has a lot of, I think right now he's a better fit for Ben Olsen's system than uh, Moreno is at the six, but obviously Segura will be gone uh, on international duty uh, this weekend, I believe. So we won't see that, but I think Durkin, both because of injuries and international duties, but also just because of balance of play has earned a starting spot uh, on this team, at least for one game and has earned the right to see what can this kid do with a full 90 minutes. One last thing in the second half before we, you know, I I bring out Debbie Downer again. Uh, It was great to see fight from, from the team get rewarded at the end and, and to see this team 
score a goal at the end to claim a point rather than give one up at the end, uh, which we saw a lot of through preseason and in, against Orlando, of course. So it, it was nice to see, nice to see um, the the team keep fighting and keep pushing and and get a result, even if it was short of the three points that we all really wanted to see. Um, there, there's still something there to to build on, which is nice because the first half left a lot of us questioning whether there would be anything or if this would just be a burn the tape sort of game. Thankfully, the the soccer plexus magic came in and uh, helped a weird result, uh, helped DC United salvage a really weird result in the end. Um, let's talk about that, that first goal. I, well, before we get to that, I just want to note that I, I feel like this this game might be one we look back at if if this team happens to get into the playoffs because the tone of the fan base the way the season is going um, the fact that the first two games in their various ways were disappointing the nature of the goals they gave up to Houston um, if this ended with a loss uh, you know it it start you start to wonder you know you've got at Columbus, at Kansas City, at TFC coming up, or, well, at TFC might not be coming up. Um, it sounds it like it's officially not coming up. Um, yeah. Since we, we, re- since we started recording, Steve Goff reported that the game is being moved to mid-June. Jesus. But, uh, but anyway, that's beside the point. Um, you know, we were going to start to look, we've been talking all this time, even last year, about how DC has to stay in touch during the first part of the season. And part of that is just keeping their heads above water in terms of confidence and morale. And while getting a draw is not the result that we all thought they needed out of this game, the nature of how they got the draw um, may really boost their spirits going forward. Um, This is the kind of game that uh, the kind of result that means more than just the one point you get in the standings. Um, the fact that they fought back from such a um, a bad spot and actually got something out of it so dramatically, um, I think this might be a, a shot in the arm. It might be something that they kind of needed because against Atlanta, we saw a team that was kind of, you know, overwhelmed and they were like, well, this, this isn't going to go well. And they kind of, I, I wouldn't say they quit, but they kind of didn't have enough to really make much of a pushback. The only reason they got a goal was a, a big error from Atlanta. Um so it was good to see them recover, and I think from a mentality perspective, this one might be a, a very meaningful game down the road. Yeah, hopefully it does act as a foundation they can they can start building from. Um, ignore the the three halves, I guess four full halves, immediately before that second half, and and just pretend that the first half of against Orlando ended with the second half against uh, Houston, and forget about the especially the the Assad goal. I don't know what he was thinking, trying to head the ball back from, what was he, 30 yards from goal? Trying to head the ball back Maybe to yeah. David Osted. Um, with Albert Elise kind of uh, looming there. Uh, nobody reacted to it except Albert Elise. Steve Birnbaum tried. Uh, he's not going to compete with Elise in uh, any kind of speed or quickness competition, which is exactly what that turned out to be. Uh, no fault on Osted for, for that one really up for, for either of them. Uh, we talked about the second goal earlier, uh, the, the miscommunication between Briant and Mora and, um, 
Elise getting the ball in and then squaring for Minotas. And th- there actually were th- that goal almost didn't happen. Osted almost got a foot to it. Uh, the cross almost didn't reach him uh, because of a couple players, but it did. The goal went in um, and it was God, I, I just don't have words to to describe those two goals. They were just so weird and bad. They were very uh, almost snake bit goals to happen. So and and they're the kind of goals that can demoralize you. So, Jason, your point about the team rallying and and hopefully building going forward, um, I think, is a good one. Yeah, I mean, those were definitely the the kind of goals that could at this stage in the season, the way things have been going, they really could be the kind of goals that derail you that much further. So um, no guarantees. I mean, we don't know, you know, they might next week go to Columbus and lay an egg and get, you know, destroyed. Um, But it seems like we should be seeing further improvement based off of this game. I, I think that um, the emotions, I mean, you could see from the celebration, it wasn't just happiness to steal a draw at the last second. Um, there was a significant tone of relief, um, that they, they willed something to go right. Um, after a lot of things have gone wrong this season, because really outside of the first 40 minutes in Orlando, uh, nothing really had gone right since then. So, um, the fact that they managed this fight back against a, a pretty decent team, quite frankly, Houston's not the kind of team that you want to go down to nothing against. Um, you know, those things are pretty positive. It's not all positive, but you know, that, that typical Ben Olsen team, uh, grit, uh, that is sometimes seen as a negative, uh, grit's actually a positive. You want that. It's, it's not the only thing you want, but, uh, in this case, uh, it, it came through, and it's good to see a new group learning how to fight as a group. Ben mentioned Ulysses Segura earlier, and uh, there was a trend from from the last couple games that continued in this one, and that is that, that Segura might be the least dangerous player to have on the ball uh, when you're countering at speed. The the guy can string passes in the midfield well. His his passing percentage is is really solid, um, but when he's running forward with the ball at his feet, he does not tend to make the right decision. <laughs> and whatever decision he makes often comes too late to have been useful. Uh, I would like to see him get up more to speed <laughs> on his decision making on the ball. Yeah. And I think maybe that's one of the examples of the game happening too fast um, for him and Moreno both. Um, that's part of the reason why, uh, in, at least in my opinion, he's been uh, involved in some of the goals against because not in this game, but in other games, because I think there was just too much for him to go too much going on. And he just got overloaded a little bit because MLS tends to be a lot more hectic than the Costa Rican league. Um and, and I think the things have just been happening very quickly for him. And some of that is off the ball. Some of it is on the ball. And um, in this game, thankfully, it wasn't the defensive side. Um, it's just that going forward, you know, I, I think there's I think once he figures it out, it's going to be pretty promising. It's just, you know, how long is that going to take? That's that's what we don't know, because this game, I think there's still uh, a pretty clear need for some progress on that front. One thing from this game that surprised me a little bit when I, I looked at the stats getting ready for the show tonight, and and that's that DC United dominated possession in this game. Not not just had the 
the better. United had more than 60% of the ball in this game. And that that surprised me because it didn't feel like they had done that. They also had uh, <laughs> double the number of shots on target as as Houston in this game, which also was, was surprising. It was, it was kind of weird. They had better passing accuracy uh, overall and in the attacking half and in the final third. Um, very, very slightly in those, those latter two categories, but they passed it 77% and kept, uh, Houston at 68. So it wasn't, it it was statistically not a a bad performance, even through that first half, they were just not dangerous at all in the first half. And, um, they, they rectified it some in the second half when they actually had slightly less of the ball. I think a lot of this is, um, who they were playing against Houston is even more committed to the counter on the road than, than DC United is, I think. Cause it's also the, the continued imperfection of stats in MLS and finding the right way to measure soccer performance writ large. There's just like possession is not a great stat. Sure. And it's, just it's trying to find what it really measures soccer performance. And we're not there yet. It's just like Thomas Rangan saying that because of whatever he sees, Leo Messi is not a great soccer player. And that's like obviously wrong. And we're just trying to figure out the best way to measure people that actually reflects facts. Yeah. But possession is a fact that you can, you can look at it. It doesn't always tell you much, but it is a useful data point. And uh, well, it's a, it's a data point. I don't know if it's a useful data point. The the number that Adam mentioned that I think is actually the most interesting of all of them is that United managed to keep Houston to 68% passing accuracy. Mm-hmm. Um, United managed to make it fairly difficult for Houston to play for most of the game. Um, they did actually – Houston's best stretch of the game by far was after the Maddox goal – um, for about 15 minutes, Houston was pretty much camped out in DC's end. They were definitely trying to make it 3-1 and finish the game off that way. Um, and, you know, to be fair, they probably should have um, either the Elise shot just over the bar. They had a few other looks that um, they could have done a little better with. Um, so that that's a little troubling. But um, outside of that, I thought DC largely... Houston wanted to play transition. They were playing high risk passes, hoping to get that home run kind of ball rather than, you know, linking, linking a bunch of passes together. But you still, when a team plays like that, if you can push them down below 70, you're doing something right. Um, So from that front, I think, you know, United deserves some credit for their defensive shape, their pressure, um, their ability to get not just pressing in terms of their line of contention, but just their ability to get numbers around the ball quickly. Um, they were thinking faster in this game than they have against Orlando or uh, Atlanta. Um, so that's progress. Um, and that's an important thing to see because if you give teams like Columbus time on the ball, you're screwed. Um, so they uh, they need to carry that over and build on it for next week, um, which I don't know how much time they're going to get to train because apparently we're going to have a uh, – a fairly significant spring snowstorm uh, this week. So I don't know what sort of practice sessions they're going to have, but um, if they can build on that side of things and make making life difficult for the other team when they've got the ball, I think that's maybe the biggest takeaway outside of the mentality side of it and outside of that um, learning how to get things done as a group, uh, learning how to fight back as a group. I think maybe the second biggest thing is just that 
that ability to make Houston uncomfortable in possession and make them uh, suffer a little bit. I think that was a, a big plus in this game was that they just harassed Houston a lot. They made it hard for them to play any soccer. And it wasn't the conditions. It wasn't the wind. It was just that United made it hard for them to connect passes. Jason, DeMarcus Beasley told me that it was the field. The field was in excellent shape. Um, if you of were, course it was. If you were watching from home, you might have seen some like um, blotchy looking spots. Those were um, that's grass that's been planted more recently than the rest of the field to fill in some spots that weren't so great. Um, so it looks off because it's a different shade, but it actually, if you are down at field level, uh, it's even. And the soccerplex uh, surface is it's famous. Is, yeah, it's it's well known as one of the best places to play in the country as far as just being on the surface. Um, yeah. And they, you know, there the snow wasn't accumulating, so it was wet, but it wasn't like drenched by any means. So um, that side of things, you know, I thought the Beasley complaints were laughable. Um, I think he also outright misstated some things because I saw the, the to get to the bathroom uh, as press, you have to go past the vending machines he mentioned. And there was no like cordoned off with a curtain or whatever. There was no wide open thing like that did not exist. So um, he misrepresented some of what was going on and also, you know, grow up a little bit. It's a one off because a team is building their stadium. They got forced into this situation. Um, I think uh, you can probably fire some complaints at BBVA Compass Stadium uh, when teams visit there because it's not as much as it's a nice venue, it's also got its problems in terms of uh, the way things are set up. So um, including ironically the field. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it was a little strange to me. Like if you're mad after a game, like there are th- things to complain about. They could have complained about uh, Dave Gantar, who I thought kind of favored DC United uh, a lot of times in this game. I think they had every right to be a little upset with him. Um, they could have complained. You mean that phantom maybe handball on uh, Darren Maddox that wasn't called? Right, which, I mean, I will say from where I was standing on the opposite end of the field, it looked like a clear handball. But when I watched replays, it became less clear. Um, but it was still Yeah, close. I think the VAR might not have even been about that because no Houston players raised their hand. Usually if there's a hint of handball, right. the defense will be all over it. I think it, they were checking, the VAR was checking um, Assad's positioning on the, the pass to it him. It might have been. Because he he was running the line really close. But, uh, but yeah, th- like there were things to complain about from Houston's side. Uh, if they wanted to take the, you know, blame someone for blowing a 2 nothing lead angle, um, there were things to complain about. And I don't really think the soccerplex was one of them. Um, no. But uh, it, it was just a Marcus Beasley's Danny Glover moment. He's just, I'm too old for this <laughs> shit. And on on that note, uh, I I think that'll do it for this first segment. We will be right back with Pat Murphy of MassiveReport.com to preview DC United's trip to the heartland. Stick around. This is Filibuster. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell Uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious, in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. 
It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. DC United are back on the road after a home game away from home. So it's really like they never got off the road. Anyway, they're heading to Central Ohio on Saturday to face Columbus Crew SC. Uh, our buddy Pat Murphy is an editor with MassiveReport.com and a regular on their podcast. And he joins us now to help us preview the game. Pat, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. We have a little tradition here. We'd, we'd like to ask you what you're drinking. Yeah, um, I would like to say I'm drinking something more fun than water, but uh, given how my weekend went with uh, St. Patrick's Day and having some friends in town, water has been pretty much the only thing I've been putting in my body the last day and a half or so. So <laughs> next time I'll have uh, Columbus is a very German town, but but you guys get up for St. Patrick's Day, huh? <laughs> Yeah, it uh, it was a good weekend, all in all. Um, <laughs> my girlfriend had her sister, another friend, come down for St. Patrick's Day from up by Cleveland, and uh, yeah, we uh, we got after it a little bit. Nice. Well, let's talk about let, let's talk about your black and gold. Sure. The crew, the crew started off pretty strong uh, before a, a snoozer last weekend against Philadelphia. Big picture, broad angle. Tell us about the crew season so far. Yeah, I think you know. You encompassed uh, the start of the season pretty well there. Go up to Toronto on opening day, first game of the MLS season. And uh, I think most people thought that that was going to be Toronto's, you know, celebratory. We're the MLS Cup champs, our first MLS Cup championship. And uh, Columbus spoiled the party for sure. Now Toronto is in the midst, still in the midst of Champions League, um, was getting ready for the their most recent series heading into that game. So Maybe one eye on MLS, one eye on, on Champions League, but Columbus played pretty well. Um, Toronto had some chances where they certainly could have scored. That game probably could have ended, you know, 3-3 three to three as opposed to 2-0. But um, Columbus left with a win and a pretty impressive one and then comes back to, to Columbus and uh, hosts Montreal Impact. Not as good of a game. Again, got out to an early 2-0 lead. Let Montreal kind of control the second half, um, bring the game level, and, and then the crew were able to score late with uh, with a Giassi Zardes, Zardes penalty kick um, in stoppage time to, to get the win. And then, as you mentioned last week, was uh, Snooze Fest is putting it lightly because, uh, you know, there were chances. I don't want to make it sound like there weren't, but it just never seemed like, you know, it never seemed like the crew were really going. It was one of those games where I could have seen Philadelphia being the home team, as often happens in MLS, grabbing a late goal and, and you know, t- stealing a home win, kind of like the crew did the week before, actually. But, uh, you know, both neither side could score. Chances both ways. Um, both keepers came up big a couple times. And, you know, so, so 2-0-1 to start the season is, is not a bad result, especially when you consider two of those games have been on the road 
won to to um, Toronto and and you know kind of the defending MLS Cup champions and what they're dealing with there. So I can't say it's been a bad start to the year, but uh, I'm still not entirely sure what this team is going to be in 2018. I I know I saw some differing views preseason about whether the yes the crew were going to be really missing the the likes of Miram and Kamara and and Finley who left in the middle of last year, or or whether hashtag the system was going to to take over. I I'm I'm more surprised that Philadelphia is unbeaten at this point. Honestly, also I'm surprised that Jesse Zardes looks like a good player again. Is, what's going on there? Is it any more than just Greg Berhalter putting him in his actual position? I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, and I think it is, you know, the system because regardless of who's been up there for the crew and obviously, you know, Kai and Ola Kamara are the two names that stand out. But even back in 2014, um, a guy I know you guys know in, in Jairo Arrieta had a pretty good season um, for Columbus you know, even some young guys in, in Adam Bedell and, and uh, you know, a few others have, have, have stepped in and, and managed to score goals. So, you know, this, this system is geared towards getting the ball to the forward with, you know, in, in good scoring positions. Um, and so far, Giassi Zars has been, you know, able to capitalize on those. Um, a really good goal in Toronto right out of the halftime uh, whistle you know, they, they don't even, Toronto doesn't even get a touch on the ball. The crew work it around, eventually get a through ball into him. And, you know, he's able to finish one time um, to kind of build off of what was a really good preseason. And, and sometimes you don't, you know, get that to translate. And then to get two goals against uh, Montreal the next week, I think was just an even bigger boost to his confidence. Um, one was one that just came off the crossbar and he was in the right place at the right time. But again, you know, a one touch finish and, and people like to, to talk about his touch. And that was a big issue talked about here before the season started and how he would fit in, you know, that way because Ola Kamara was very good at those one touch finishes. Um, and then he's, you know, scored a penalty kick to, to win that game. So I think it's been a very good start. I do think that in this last game, we saw a little bit more of, of the Giassi Zardes that, um, you know, worried people a little bit just in the fact that he had some chances and couldn't finish them. There were a few of those, those classic, national team Giassi Zardes touches where it just really gets away from him. Um, but, you know, I think he's he's settling in pretty well, pretty quickly, and he's got players around him that can get him the ball in good spots. So there's no reason to think he can't keep scoring if, if you know, he can, you know, keep getting himself in the right positions and, and keep making the right runs and such. Pat, one of the highest profile offseason moves, as we kind of alluded to previously, was uh, the departure of Justin Miram. Uh, he's been replaced by uh, Pedro Santos. Uh, overall, what's what's your what's your feeling? Are you okay with the departure of Miram? Uh, are you all in on Pedro Santos? How is that? Uh, how's that transition gone so far? So far, it's been pretty good. Um, I do think Justin's a loss because. Not only was he the longest tenured player left here, but he, you know, did a lot of good things for this team. You know, playing a left wing, cutting in, he could tuck in well with Federico Iguain, and 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 they worked well together. Um, you know, him and Olo Kamara worked well together too. So that looked like it was going to be a big loss. I mean, between the two, you know, Kamara and Maram, I think it was thirty-one goals that walked out of the door. Um, so you know, you you've got to make that up somehow. And uh, so far, Pedro Santos has been um, fairly good. He, uh, you know, he had the assist 
Okay. He uh, he had the assist to Giassi Zardes in the first game. And I think we saw on that goal, if you go back and look at it, that he uh, the, the difference between him and Justin Merrim is Justin's going to be a guy cutting in from that left wing on his right foot, whereas Pedro's a, a left-footed guy. Um, so you can get those kind of bended passes, you know, onto a run from a forward as opposed to to Justin's through balls, which which required the forward to make a little bit more effort on the run, or you get a shot from Justin. So um, it has changed things a little bit, but uh, you know, I, I don't think you complain with the offense so far. It's just a matter of of whether it will be sustainable. I do like what we got from Pedro in Columbus. You know, towards the end of last year, he hasn't scored a goal yet, but. Uh, he looks like a dangerous player who can play on either side. Um, you know, kind of a, a typical Greg Berhalter winger that we've had these last five years now. So between uh, players like uh, Santos, Martinez, Trapp, Artur, uh, Abubakar, your team is really young. How do you feel about that that youth movement and? Do you think it's a net benefit for the team or is it going to be somewhat of a growing pains uh, throughout the season? I think it's a benefit and be, because a lot of these guys played last year, um, you know, a lot of big minutes. You mentioned, you know, Will Trapp's obviously a guy who's played a lot these last several years, but Artur comes in, um, was pretty much a starter from from week two on in, in the central midfield there. Um, Lal Zabubakar was in and out of the lineup, kind of depended what they did. So they went to a three in the back for, for a portion last year. But, uh, you know, he's a guy that they trusted in the second leg of the Eastern Conference final to play against Toronto and, and battle with, you know, Giovinco and, and Josie Altidore. So a guy that Greg Berhalter really gained some trust in, a former first-round pick, um, and has looked very good in his first few games this year starting. So I think that while it is a young team, you know, they went through some growing pains in the middle of last year and, and kind of got things going towards the end of the year. But, uh, you know, I think they feel pretty comfortable with the youth just because it does have some experience. Um, you know, they've now they've sent Alex Cronali, who's another young center back, another second-year guy. They just sent him on loan. Um, so they, they like what they've got in the back. Um, I think the midfield pairing is is one that, that they're comfortable with, though in this game, Will Trapp will not be a part of that because he's going up out with the national team. But uh, yeah, and, and I think Zach Steffen's another guy to throw in there, um, the young goalkeeper. Again, another guy who won't be with them this weekend, but a name that you know I think people are starting to really learn um, as a potential U.S. goalkeeper going forward. And you know, however long he decides to stay in MLS, I think he's going to be a name people will remember. So wait, does that mean that uh, 2010 highlight Rico Clark might start this weekend. There's a possibility. Um, we were we were talking with Greg about that today. You know, he's he's not the type to uh, show his cards at all. But Ricardo Clark's been the the central midfielder on the bench uh, these first three games. Came in against Montreal very late because of an injury um, and played I think like six seconds. And uh, when I asked him about that after the game, he did not find it as funny as I did. But. Uh, he, uh, yeah, he could be there, or um, the other option would be Mohamed Abu, who they originally brought in last year's preseason, I think, to partner with Will, and uh, then found our tour. Um, Mohamed Abu started the first game and then kind of became the third option in the midfield. Um, you know, started 14 games last year, so definitely played. Um, and I think, you know, he's he's a guy who isn't physical. Um, the way Artur is, isn't as good in possession, though he looked better as the year went on. Had to play in uh, the New York City uh, series in the 
uh, Eastern Conference semifinals last year when our tour was suspended and played pretty well. So he's a guy who can fill a role. He's not a guy that I think maybe is a full-time MLS starter, at least not with the way that the crew like to play, but can step in. Um, the one thing is with Will out, I don't know who they trust more playing that number six as opposed to a number eight. And, you know, when the crew push numbers forward, the fullbacks get high and uh, Will's usually the one that drops in between the center backs to kind of provide a little stability there. So uh, one of those guys is going to have to take on that role because it's kind of important in terms of what Columbus does. Pat, I, I want to go back to the young the young players we talked about uh, a minute ago because I think the youngest player in the lineup right now is Milton Valenzuela, uh, who came in from Newell's Old Boys, and and despite being a 19 year old uh, fullback in a you know pretty demanding system, Columbus really sends their fullbacks far forward, and they give them a lot of responsibility. Um, from afar, at least, it seems like he's hit the ground running, though. Uh, tell us a little bit about him. Yeah, he uh, he has hit the ground running, but it is interesting because, like you mentioned, traditionally Columbus like to get the, the fullbacks forward, and that's not really what he's done previously. Um, when we first had a conference call with Greg after they signed him, he said that you know while his former team didn't push the guys forward, they think that he has that ability to be an attacking fullback um, but that his main strengths were defensively. And we've seen that early on. You know, he's for a 19-year-old defender, just very comfortable one-on-one defending. Um, seems pretty good on the ball. You know, he's he's not a guy that so far has shown any reason to worry, you know, dribbling out of the back, passing out of the back. You can see that they're still working on when he's making the runs forward and whatnot. But, um, you know, the first game against Toronto, he makes a run down the left-hand side, um, gets a long ball played to him by Artur, brings it down on two touches and, and the second touch is a pass into Iguain, which led to the first goal. So, you know, he's, he's certainly, you know, made his impact offensively a little bit, but uh, you know, that's, that's going to be a work in progress with the young player, but I do like what we've seen from him defensively. Um, you know, he, he hasn't made too many mistakes, which is something I think you normally worry about a player like that, but adding a little bit more defensive fullback there, I think is not the worst thing for them just because they have been burned in years previous when those guys both get too high and then you you're you're outnumbered at the back so um while he is going to still push forward and whatnot it's not been as uh as gung-ho maybe as it has been in the past just because he's he's not natural in that uh position yet let's go to the other uh end of the age spectrum uh Pipa Higuain um appears fresher this year at least I I saw a couple games of preseason I haven't had a chance to watch um the game from this past weekend, but uh, it seems like he's maybe rejuvenated a little bit this offseason. Uh, how is he looking so far? Good. And I think he's a guy that, you know, and, and there's been a number of these in MLS where every year you hear about, well, is this the year that his age finally catches up with him? And, and you know, maybe it will be, but to start the season, he's been very good. Um, I mentioned scored the first goal in Toronto, scored a penalty kick against Montreal. Um, you know, in the, this last game, it was, Hard to really credit anyone for for much offensively, just because neither team really did much. But he did have probably the created the best chance that that Giassi Zardes put wide. Um, you know, he's he, he's just he's he's doing what he always does. He's he's the creator. He's kind of the engine in the middle offensively. Um, you know, I think he's he's got good chemistry with with Pedro Martin or Pedro Santos and uh, and Martinez, who's who's been starting on the right wing. Um, because he's a guy who's been here for the last few years. So, you know, he, he understands what those guys are going to do. I was questioning how his chemistry with Giassi Zardes would be early in the season, but they seem to be on the same page. So, you know, I think 
you know, what you've seen the past few years, you know, if you take out the year that he was hurt in 2016 when Columbus didn't make the playoffs, um, you know, it's, it's kind of been the same old Iguain, um pretty much since he's joined MLS, maybe slowed down a little bit in terms of how much he's running, but he makes up for that in, in his passing and, you know, smart movements, I'd say. My last question goes to more of, um, you know, moves up off the moves off the bench. Um, I noticed that uh, Luis Argudo, who was taken pretty late in the, the draft, um, has made an appearance in every single game so far. Um, Nico Hansen came in uh, this past weekend. Uh, before that, Adam John uh, was another. He or he hasn't really played, but he's an option. Um, yeah. It, it, it doesn't seem like the crew have been pushed into needing those players to come through yet, but uh, out of that group, who are you looking at as if, if this game gets to be like – one one in the seventy fifth minute. Who would you want Burhalter to bring in to try and get the win? It's interesting because the uh, for the Montreal game, Adam John was listed on the injury report, but still was on the bench, um, and then was taken off the injury report last week, but wasn't on the bench. And then in a scrimmage they had last Sun or two Sundays ago, Nico Hansen played up top, which is not a role we'd seen him in. And, and Greg Berhalter said they're just kind of experimenting with him there to give them a different option off the bench. But uh, I think Nico Hansen's probably the guy, you know, he's he's very good on the wings. He's come off the bench and created for them before. Um, going back to last year against Portland, I think he came on and, and had a goal and an assist. Or I, might, I might be confusing that with another game. But he's had that spark off the bench impact before um though i do like what i've seen out of luis argudo you know like you mentioned a third round pick and not greg berhalter traditionally doesn't use guys that he gets later in the draft um he's not a fan of the draft much in general i don't think but uh he uh he's he's they've liked what they've seen from Luis argudo you know he's a guy who can play both on the wings and in that kind of you know number six role potentially though i don't see him as a guy who is really an option to start this week but uh yeah, I, I think if you need an offensive spark, it's probably going to be Nico Hansen. Um, Adam John obviously gives you the, the bigger target forward if you want to kind of bang balls into the box and stuff like that. But um, given that he wasn't on the bench last week and we didn't see much of him today from the little bit we got saw in training, I'm, I'm not sure what his health situation is going to be coming into the weekend. Pat, put yourself on the, I would say the other sideline, but in this game they're on the same side put your on put yourself in the other technical area i guess is the way i'll put it if you okay. were game planning against greg burhalter and the crew this weekend what would you be focused on i think uh i think there's two approaches and it kind of just depends what what you've got um what what you kind of have personnel wise we've seen teams be successful by putting 10 11 guys behind the ball and just trying to just hit the team on the counter, you know, suck them for suck the crew forward, counterattack on the wings, and and try and catch the center backs out of position. Um, Dallas has done that a couple times against the crew. Houston did that effectively last year. So if you have the players to to really burn them with speed down the wings, I think you can you can do it that way. Um, the other technique, and and Philly did this pretty well last week, is just pressuring Columbus high, not letting them really build that offense out of the back. Um, you know, we were just talking on our podcast earlier tonight that the the back four had more touches than than Will Trapp did against Philadelphia, which you usually don't see and isn't a good sign for your offense building the way that they want him to. Um, so I think if you if you can pressure um, Columbus, you know, ideally wants to get through that pressure, get to the second lines, and then kind of hurt you that way. But if you're if you're disciplined about it, 
Um, you don't let the, the, the fullbacks get out as much. Um, Toronto tried that to a decent effect um, against Harrison Awful, keeping him pinned back. I think, I think that can be an effective tactic as well. That's my traditional last question, but the, the crew are sure. a, a special circumstance right now, so I'm going to ask another one. Uh, okay. What's the latest on... I think I know where this is going. What's the latest on Save the Crew? Um, I, yeah. That's a question that doesn't need an introduction for anyone who's been paying attention, but I, I wanted to to get the update straight from Columbus. Sure. Um, there's, there's not a ton to tell in terms of actual news. Um, you know, it's, it's been back and forth down in Austin. They've identified, um, a site where they want to focus on for the potential stadium. Um, it's not there. They being pre-courts, yeah, sorry, pre-courts organization, yeah, pre-courts not, organization. not necessarily the city of Austin. Correct. Um, this, uh, it's kind of the third or fourth option that they, ha- that pre-court sports ventures had, um, when the other ones have, have fallen by the wayside for various reasons. Um, so, you know, they've, they've targeted that. It's called Michaela Place. Um, it's a little bit outside the city, you know, the, the city center from what I understand, but still in a, a pretty decent area and uh, with, you know, shopping and, and stuff going on around there. But um, so that's that happened a couple weeks ago. And there's been still some pushback down in Austin from, you know, city council on on what they would want them to do in order to use that. Um, so we'll be we'll be keeping close tabs on what happens there. But uh, then in Columbus, the city has, and you know, this this will be a little bit of history here. But when the Browns originally moved to Baltimore, um, when Art Modell moved them, they the state of Ohio put in a law that's they call the Modell Law um, that says that if you're going to cease using um, any, if you cease playing your games on a place that has been used for taxpayer money which I think we can all argue that Mafre Stadium has. Um, it's built on the fairgrounds and, and was the parking lots and everything have been renovated by taxpayer money. Then you have to give six months notice um, before you do that. You have to listen to, to offers from potential buyers, things like that. So the city of Columbus has you know, pushed forward with, with that legally. Um, last Friday, pre-court sports ventures responded saying they don't believe that this law pl- applies to them, but if it does, you know, they feel like they are in compliance with it. Um, so we're going to see where it goes from there. Um, it'll be interesting to see if this law holds up, if it, if it can provide any sort of injunction um, to keep the team here longer. But, you know, looking at it from and trying to be as, as fair as possible, I think if pre-court sports ventures wants this team to be in Austin and, I have no reason to think that they don't because the talk of parallel paths has been non-existent from the get-go. Um, you know, it's going to end up down there, I believe. And you know, one way or another, whether they have to pay for it privately, I think they're going to get a deal done in terms of a stadium in Austin. You know, I think things could get a little messy, messier, I guess, because nothing's been clean through this whole process. But messier if if you know this stuff does go to court. But it's hard for me to envision you know it being forced to stay here. Now, the only thing I think that could um, really force their hand as if, you know, Austin just really doesn't, you know, accommodate them in any sort of way, or if it just gets so, you know, convoluted that and somebody steps up with an offer that, you know, is, is maybe not going to blow him out of the water, but makes it easy to get out of this and just kind of, you know, say, Hey, you know, I, uh, I, I did what I could, but 
this became too messy and, and I'm going to step out. So that seems to be, you know, the potential way it stays in Columbus, but you know, I, I still put heavier odds on, on things moving to Austin at some point in time. That's too bad. Um, here in DC, we, we had to face our own mortality as a potential yes. market or as an MLS market for, um, a lot of years actually. And, right. um, thankfully it, that, that never came to pass and and I hope I wish that on no one, not even my worst. Yeah, I I really hope that that you guys come through with with your club on the other side. And one of the things, one of the things, not to interrupt you there, but one of the things I think that's really been cool about this, you know, one of the small things that's been cool about the whole Save the Crew movement is the league fans stepping up the way that they have. You know, there was as part of the TIFO at the Philadelphia game last week. There was a boat. I don't know what the whole TIFO was supposed to represent, but there was a boat <laughs> with guys in hard hats and it said, save the crew on it. That They did. Um, you know, obviously I'm sure people saw on social media last year during the playoffs, the various save the crew banners and whatnot that have, have been around the league. So, you know, it, it does show that regardless of rivalries and whatnot, um, you know, that, that this league fans can come together and, and, and stand for something, which, you know, sometimes in soccer you get and some, or sometimes in sports you get and sometimes you don't. So it, that has been neat to see, um, at least that this, you know, this group can, can all come together to support one cause. With that, we will uh, we'll end the show. Pat, thanks for coming on. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you online? Yeah, we are, as you mentioned, on Massive Report. Um, and then on social media, I am at underscore Pat underscore Murphy because Patrick Murphy is one of the more common names out there. Find us uh, at blackandredunited.com if you want to support us financially. Patreon.com slash filibuster is the place to do that. On Twitter, we are at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website. Uh, Download, subscribe, rate, review on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, uh, the Internet Archive, wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe to us there. Uh, Mostly, though, please tell a friend about the show. That's the best way to to get the word out. Oh, and send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We do read them all, even if we don't respond. We're really bad at responding to emails. Who isn't? We're going to talk to you real soon. Until then, for Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. I'm so tired. Ah!